Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we worship and fellowship together. To find out more about Waterbrook, go to www.waterbrook.church. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 4. We're making our way through the book of Genesis. And uh, obviously that may provoke more questions than answers since I'm trying to, to leap through this. And... Um, and do so in such a way, I mean, let's put my cards out on the table here. My goal in working through the first 11 chapters of Genesis is to encourage you for mission. Um, Abraham in Genesis 12 is called to leave all that he knows to follow God in covenant with God. And God has promised to make him a blessing to the nations. And let me just say to you that one of the realities for all of us is that we do not believe the promises of God. We, fun- we talked about this on Wednesday night with our, um, our uh, tr- uh, gospel fluency class, that we are all unbelievers. And what he was saying by that is that functionally we don't trust that God is as committed to what God has said. So we struggle with one another. We become anxious over things. We get captured by idols, things that we hope will antidote our anxiety and our, and our emptiness. And so it's good to come back to the Bible for a couple of reasons. In Genesis 1 to 11, is written to launch the people of Israel and saying, just listen to God, right? When you get into Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is spoken to the Lord as he takes the reins or the mantle of responsibility from um, Moses who has passed away and he's got to lead Israel into the promised land. And as that happens, the Lord says to him, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you must be careful to do all that is written in it. And just think for a moment for all of us how easy it is for us in the functioning of life not to trust the words of God, not to even hear the words of God. Do you know what that's like? Yeah, you have those. I may be. This may be the exposure of my own madness, but that's okay. I'm here to share my weakness with you. But have you ever had those conversations in your own head when you're struggling? You ever had those 3 a.m. discussions with anxiety? and fear, and problems, and grief, and sorrow. And when that battle's going on in your head, it's very hard to hear the voice of God. And so the Word of God speaks into that powerfully. So we're in a really tough text. Genesis chapter 4, where Cain kills his brother Abel. The first homicide in the Bible. As we come to a graphic reality that sin has devastated humanity, you and I need to see in this text the objective of Moses and the Pentateuch for the people going into the promised land, the purpose of God launching us to the nations. So you and I need to hear that what goes on in Cain's head, which drowns out the voice of God, goes on in our heads, which drowns out the voice of God. And so sometimes we think the problem we struggle for with kind of sharing our faith and getting out there and fulfilling the mission of God in the world, the problem is the people around us, the church we're a part of, the family I'm in, and all of those kind of things. But what Genesis 4 tells us is what? Where's the battle? The battle's inside me. The struggle is inside me. And, and there's this kind of 
tough but beautiful reality in Genesis chapter 4 where what we're called to do is listen for God, listen to God, where Cain is arguing against God. And the good news and the hard news of this is he's not a whole lot different than us. He he sees and his views of his doctrine and his theology lead him to the point that rather than rest in God, he argues against God. And so here's what I want you to do. And I hope that this, what this does, let me do a couple things. I think Tom gave you some permissions when he came to pray and Kristen did as she was leading. It's okay to wrestle. But there's a little part of wrestling where you have to stop listening to yourself. Let the Lord speak into your wrestling and, and let it be repentant and confessional. And so here's, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to read Genesis 4. As I read Genesis 4, listen. But listen to what God says to what Cain says. You probably hear yourself in Cain, but you need to hear the correction of God in Genesis 4. So we're told in Genesis 4.1, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. I'm just going to pause there. Catch that? So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? Anybody been angry this week and had your face fallen? Doesn't mean your face has fallen off. Means you're downcast. Or as the psalmist says, why art thou, why am I downcast, O my soul? And so what he says, if, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And Cain spoke to his brother Abel. Notice Cain didn't listen to God. Cain kept on yapping. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Man, You know, that's your kid you're going to punt them across the universe. You imagine the Lord talking back to God, the audacity and the grace. Ponder a little bit, right? And he said, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. 
And then Cain talked again. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden, and I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, No! See what's going on here? Bad theology. Arguing against the God. Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on him, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch, which he built a city he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Ired, and to Ired fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. Lamech took two wives. The, one of, the name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. Jubal, sorry. Oh, so that was Jabal. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of jazz musicians. No. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zilla also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. And Lamech said to his wife, Ada and Zilla, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I've said. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged, revenge is if Cain's revenge is sevenfold then Lamech's is 77fold that remind you of anything how many times should I forgive my brother is, is there any relate I think there's some relationship here my brother's keeper how many times should I forgive my brother well, let's go back to how many times Lamech would kill anybody don't be a Lamech 70 times seven. And Adam knew his wife, and she bore a son and called him Seth. For she said, because Seth means appointed, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he was called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of Yahweh, the name of the Lord. The end of that text. That's a powerful text, isn't it? It's a powerful text because Cain reveals his sinful battle, his struggle inwardly to trust the Word of God, even when God is speaking to him in the middle of his struggle. I hope you relate to something of this. Have you ever had arguments with God? God is launching you. And so I believe what's being taught here in this text of Scripture by Moses as he's putting his books together and launching the people of Israel into the promised land is that the, the biggest enemy you're going to face in fulfilling the call of God in your life is not outside of you. The biggest enemy you will face is on the inside of you, your own sin. That's where the war takes place. And you know, when we think about Israel not going into the promised land, why didn't they go? They were afraid of the, the giants that were in the land. It wasn't the giants that were in the land, it was the giants that were in their hearts. 
the unbelief that they were battling with. And that's what's being revealed here. And so this whole debate and conversation reveals something. Not that Cain shouldn't have wrestled with God, but he shouldn't have turned it to anger rather than crying out in desperation. The anxiety, the fear, the frustration, the disappointment. So I have here on this uh, slide here the quote from David Pallinson, if any of you uh, David just died last year, a powerful biblical counselor. But David, uh, David Pallinson in his, one of his writings read, when the Bible teaches us how to express our pain to God, it teaches a cry of faith, not a roar of blasphemous rage. And sometimes what happens with us is we rage against God. How could you? Why would you? It's not fair. And we rage not about distant theoretical philosophical, theological constructs, we rage about the kids in the car on the way home. Right? When The question I want to ask is this. When you look at Genesis 4, what, how does it start? What is Cain doing? He's growing vegetables and offering them to the... He's worshiping. He's bringing an offering unto the Lord. How do you go from worship to war? How do you move from offering unto God until, uh, unto the act of murder against God? And every one of us needs to stop and realize that what's happening in Cain can happen in each of our own hearts. You think, how could someone be at the beginning of a chapter offering his offering to God and then a few versus later being enticing his brother out into the field to murder him and the answer is that's the nature of sin that is the horrific nature of sin it's self-sabotaging it is destructive and it's destructive in one profound way couple profound ways but in one profound way it makes us deaf to the voice of god in our own hearts it's the voice that begins to argue out loud and speak out loud. We go from worship to murder when the object of our worship is no longer God but me. And the aim of my worship is no longer God's will but my will be done. I want to just pause and say this, that this is important at the beginning of the Bible is the point in terms of the mission of the church because you and I need to realize that one of the things that will sabotage our church in its mission and the church in the mission of God is when the people of God turn on one another. Do you understand that? The biggest danger is when we begin to get frustrated and disappointed with one another because we're not being for each other what we think God should make us be for each other. Anybody ever read Philippians? Isn't Philippians an interesting book? Why don't you take your Bible and turn there really quick with me to Philippians chapter 2. Here's the question I want to pose to you as a believer as he writes to this group of Christians in Philippi to whom he's connected and people there who are friends, who have been partners in the gospel with him. He writes to them this passage in Philippians chapter 2. If there is any encouragement in Christ, 2-1, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, is he saying... Is there any? 
or is he saying there is any? He's saying you got Christ. You got the gospel. Is it possible for people to have all the riches of Christ and turn on one another? Notice what he says here in verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. What's selfish ambition or conceit? Selfish ambition is me and my agenda. Conceit is why am I being treated like a nobody? Why are they getting treated like a somebody? Doesn't that bother us sometimes? We come in with our offering and we sacrifice and we, we give to the Lord our worship. We've been working hard at it and some Johnny-come-lately gets recognized. And what happens in our heart? Right? The battle in our heart is we discover in that moment whether we were worshiping God or worshiping ourselves whether we were doing it unto his name or whether we were doing it unto our own name. Isn't that an insidious sin that gets in where you start to think, my goodness, why am I doing what I'm doing? And I think if you read your way through Philippians, because he gets to chapter 4, he actually talks about two women who are in an argument with one another in a conflict in the church. And if chapter 2 has something to do with chapter 4, what's happening is they're being ticked off because they're stepping on each other's ministry toes. Isn't that good news that the church was chaotic right from the get-go? What does he say in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 2? Look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality, of, with, God to, equality with God to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of what? Servant. And then he talks about the cross. Here is Jesus coming in lowly, without an ego, coming to serve, being crucified, and saying on the cross, Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the struggle all the way through the battle. What's going to kill the mission of God is when the people of God start thinking about themselves and their egos and their own selfish ambitions rather than the will of God and the glory of God. And God will take you through the valley so you will die to yourself. That's, that's what he does. And so there's a, a little check that needs to be done here this morning for all of us. What's been bugging you? Where have you been struggling with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Has there been any of Cain in you? Because what was in Cain exists in all of us. Sin sabotages the mission of God by going after the hearts of the people of God. Going after us in terms of our ego. Going after us in terms of our ambition. So let me give you um, uh, a definition down at the bottom. I put there the greatest threat to the mission of God through his church is the sin that we as individual Christians allow to fester unchecked in our souls. So if you've got the pus of your anger, bitterness, ego in your heart, 
You need to get that washed out by the blood of Jesus. It's the only thing that will cleanse it. Repent and repent quickly. Sin, what we're being taught in the Bible, sin is an enslaving, self-destructive force. That's what we see in Cain. In, in Cain. It is an enslaving, self-destructive force that makes us increasingly resistant to the word that God places in us. I could do a whole, this is a rich theology. I take you to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 warns us that sin is given birth where? Right? It's one of those extraterrestrial monsters, you know, that comes out of your chest, right? Sin is given birth in your heart, and if you let it grow, it gives birth to death. Sin in you will destroy you. And so James says, receive the word of God implanted in your soul. Hear that. Remember the parable of the sower with Jesus? The parable of the sower and the soil. Where does God plant the seed of the word? In you, right? He plants it in your soul, in your heart. You need to be receptive to the word of God. Let God's word speak to you when you're finding your ego come into play. Let God's word speak to you when you're wrestling with your brother why he's getting acknowledged, she's getting acknowledged, and you're being treated. When your wife or your husband isn't honoring you, the way you think they should be, when that's going on in you, let God speak. Shut yourself up. Probably a nicer way to say that, right? But that's what you got to do. Deal with this in you. Sin will take you down. It'll take you down and down into the black pit. And that's the battle that keeps the advancement of the kingdom and keeps people from moving out. It's because there's Satan and sin will plant the lie inside you that God has treated you unjustly. And you're not getting what you need to be who God's called you to be. And so it makes you resistant to the word of God. And this text teaches you it makes you increasingly, that's what happens in the text, cruel to the people that God has placed you in your life. Has, have you ever had things come out of your mouth towards people that you thought, How in the, where in the world did that come from? This is where that comes from. I've talked to many people, believers, who have said, I never thought I could say this. I never thought I could do that. I never thought, how could? I was in a meeting the other night uh, with Paul and his ministry, Turnback Ministries. Some of the guys that are battling pornography or have come out of that ministry, and as they're talking about it, they said, how could a Christian get to that place in their life? That's how. Sin is not something you do wrong against God. It's not just an act that's wrong. Sin is an enslaving force in you. It is a power of death within you, and it is designed to destroy you. That's why God guarded Adam and Eve. They couldn't just know the knowledge of, of good and evil and carry on. Because it wouldn't be just stepping in, oh, sorry, God, come back. They were stepping into something that would capture them and enslave them and lie to them, and it was greater than them. Thank God for the verse in the New Testament that says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Because unless Christ comes and breaks the power of sin, Andy preached about this a few weeks ago, the cancel of sin on the cross, we would never get free of the damning, destructive 
power of sin in their lives. So let me just walk through this text. I want to do a couple of things with you, just ask you to think about for the moment. So here's what I'm, here's the simple thing I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to do a little heart examination. I'm asking you just to pause and say, am I letting sin's insidious work begin to break down my relationships with other people, my attitude towards God, such that I'm disengaged from the mission of God. I'll put it to you again, the reason we're not involved in the mission of God has nothing to do with whether or not it's Cabell or Carver County. The reason we're not in the mission of God is because of Kevin and the sin that's in my heart. That's where I battle, and that's where it's got to be broken. So here's what I want us to see. You know, here's where the sin leads us on a path of destruction where we progressively become deaf to, we don't listen to, we don't hear God even as he's speaking to us. So let's go to the next slide here and I'll walk us through this progression in someone who stops. So here's someone who stops listening to God. And this is a good warning. There is a progression that can take place when we stop being responsive to the voice of God and the word of God. So we could be, any of us here today could be on the spectrum here. And we just need to say, God help me, I've stopped listening. God help me, I've hardened my heart. God help me, I'm arguing against your providence in my life. If only you gave me a better church, only if you gave me a better child, only you gave me a better parent, if only, if only, if only. And I'm wrestling with you over this as a justification for my angry with, anger with you. At the end of the day, your anger with other people is only anger against God. Amen. That's all it is. So let's go why we desperately need. Let's go to the next slide here, brother. So here's the first thing that we see in this text. What you and I need to see in Genesis 4 is that it started in Genesis 3. I kind of zipped through Genesis 3 last week, but remember when God comes and confronts Cain in this passage of Scripture? What does he say if you look in, in Genesis 4, 6? The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry because your brother... I had regard for your brother's offering. There's a lot of debate about the difference between Cain's offering and Abel's offering. The only thing we're told in the Bible is this, in this section of Scripture, the difference between the two of them is God had regard for his. And God didn't have regard for Cain's. And that bugs us. Doesn't that bother us? Why is that Yahoo getting all the accolades when I've done all the work? Why are they getting all the recognition? Why is it going well for them, right? That echoes all the way through the Bible. The psalmist wrestles with some of those things in Psalm 37 and Psalm 73. And here's what's going on. Why has the Lord had regard? And that's the, one of the best tests of why you're doing what you're doing. When you get no recognition. And somebody else gets recognition. And all of a sudden you're ticked off. And isn't that great that the Lord allows you to see the ugliness of your heart? Doesn't he show you what's inside there? So the Lord says to him, why are you angry? Why is your face falling? If you do well, you, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. What is it like? Its desire is to pounce on you and devour you. See what sin is pictured like? A lion. 
ready to pounce on you, waiting for that moment where you turn your head away from God and to seize you and to destroy you. He says, be very careful. Sin's desire is for you. Do you remember that language at all? Turn back one page in your Bible. At least it's back a page in my Bible. That's exactly what God said would be a consequence of sin between Adam and Eve. What happens with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse uh, 16? He says to the woman, after he tells the snake that its head will be crushed by the seed of the woman, then he says to the woman, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth your children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over for you. Your desire, just like sin's desire, is ready to pounce on you. Right? It's the same language. What's going on in that text? What's he saying is going to happen between Adam and Eve? I got a Derek Kidner quote there. He's one of the he's a good simple commentator on Genesis. To love and to cherish becomes to desire and to dominate. See, rather than Adam and Eve serving one another, now they want to control one another. Like sin wants to take control of you. That's what he says happens to them. I just want you to think for a moment how that happens. Because God in chapter 2 tells Adam and Eve that they need each other. It wasn't good for man to be alone, so he makes Eve out of the rib of a woman. And then it says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and become one flesh. Right? And they do, and they're naked, and they're not ashamed. And there they are in the Garden of Eden glorious provision of God. Here they are. They, they've been made to serve and be united. But he says, now guess what's going to happen? Now instead of Adam caring for Eve and Eve being that helpmate responding to Adam, Adam, Eve, Eve's desire is going to be to control Adam. Adam's desire is going to put Eve in her place. Service has got out of the humility has gone out of the window. What's going on in that dynamic? I'll tell you what's going on because you can see it in the text. You know what's going on in the text? They can now see each other's sin. And sin, your sin, becomes an excuse for my deafness to God. That's how it works. What's going on here? Well, Adam says what? The woman you gave me. So Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Somebody came up to me last week and said, you know the saying? Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> Thought it was worth repeating because it's a groaner. But that's... That's what happens. Just think about the time you have struggle with, with one another in your own family. What goes on there? We wrestle with the decisions you're making, the leadership or the role that God's given you in my life. Why? Because I can give a long litany of everything you've said or done that's been stupid. Right? We believe your sin is a justification for me not listening to God. And so what happens is I better run this show because if I let you run this show, we know where this show will go, right? That's what sin does. And so now we don't listen to God, and we don't follow God, and we don't trust God to work in our brokenness. We play God. And so that's where it starts. There becomes, first of all, sin. If you want to understand what sin is, it's stubborn autonomy. I am going to be the captain of my own ship, and the master of my own fate. 
nobody is going to tell Dibley how Dibley's going to live, especially not you. Even if God said, this is the right way to live. That's what's destroying our families. Stubborn autonomy. And that's why Philippians 2 says, have this attitude. So kids, if you want to, I mean, I, I think it'll happen in you. It's happened in my life. My kids witnessed their parents having disagreements. Kids, when you watch your parents having disagreements, this is what's going on. They're not listening to God. They're listening to their own heads and justifying their own sins. And you, no, you should just be respectful. You can pray for them that they would hear God above their own voices. Be quiet enough to hear and to submit to God. God help us. That's step one. Step two is what? Seething anger. Right? What goes on with Cain? Cain sees that God has shown favor towards Abel, and here he is. He's come. How do you go from worship to murder? Well, most of you have done it in your car on Sundays. I'm sure some of you haven't. I mean, Raul and Allison, you guys just live across the street. Hopefully you can get home, you know. But... <laughs> Some of us have farther to drive. It's not fair, right? So what's, what's the difficulty? The difficulty is when I come out of worship and I didn't get the strokes at worship. I Sometimes, you know, I'll be real frank with the worship team because I've been here 100 years now. I guess it's qualified, right? Bill, you would know this from your years of ministry. Sometimes I can come in and, and see the worship team, and I'm going to say the worship teams are having a hard time worshiping today, Right? Why is the worship team having a hard time worshiping? Because we have a hard time in this fallen world hearing one another, speaking to one another, feeling like we're heard by one another, pulling the whole thing together. And what happens when this is all going on? We can walk out of worship thinking, man, I don't know if I even want to come back to that church again. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever left Waterbrook and not wanted to come back. But I get it. my guess is we'd be pretty close to 100% with the exception of me and Marianne, because we're just, we love you guys, right? <laughs> but, but other than the few righteous amongst us, the reality is that you can come to worship and go home seething, and it's sin that does that, because our eyes are no longer on the king and the worship that he is due, but on the king and the worship that he is due. And I am not the king. And that's what leads to murder from worship. Because Cain did it to get strokes. And God knew it and didn't give it to him. Isn't that a mercy of God? Thank God when he doesn't let you be the hero of your own story. And he shows you you need Jesus. This is not a problem to have it shown to you. It's a problem when you don't turn to Jesus to deal with it. When you don't acknowledge and confess it. What's the next stage? This is the advancement of sin. Sulking anxiety. God comes along in this chapter and he says to Cain, I'm, where, where's your brother? And he says, <laughs> Now you know he doesn't fear the Lord when he says this. 
He says, am I my brother's keeper? Stupid question. The elder brother. The cover-up. No, you're, you're your brother's killer. You ever killed your brother with your tongue on the way home from church? Has your brother been your spouse? One of your best friends? Somebody you should have spoke truth about? Do we have it, folks? Does this sin get in us? We get seething angry, and then God comes along and says this to Cain. I'm sorry, Cain, but guess what? You were really proud that you grew these crops. He just, he just had these sheep. They just run around and feed themselves. You had to till. You had to plant seeds. You had to wait forever for them to grow up. You had to wait for me to make the rain to fall and all that kind of stuff. And all this hard work you've done, well, guess what? Farming's done. Farming's done. If you think farming makes you acceptable in my sight, farming's done. Same thing he said to Elijah. Elijah said, I'm the only one that's left. I fought the prophets of Baal. There should be a rival. And then, and then Jezebel wants to kill him, so he runs off into the hill country. Oh, God, woe is me. And he comes out. God says, what are you doing out here? And he says, I'm the only one that's left. And God says, just a little accounting here, 7,000 have not bowed the knee to Baal, and now you're done. Elisha, step in. Isn't that interesting what God does? He will not let your idol remain your idol. He will take it from you. He will pull it. Is that kindness? It's kindness. It's, it's hard and it's real, but it ends your idolatry, and that's what God does. And so what's interesting about this, I, that's why I emphasize, you look at verse 15. He goes, oh, <laughs> I'm never going to, everybody's going to, I'm going to be, you know, he just comes and says, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. And what does God say in verse um, 15? No. I put in there, awareness of guilt makes us paranoid of one another. Everybody's going to be after me. Everybody's going to be talking about me. You know, you know isn't, isn't that tragic? Isn't that tragic when God humbles us and all we're concerned about is if anybody knows God humbled us? That's what we do. Does, did so-and-so know? Did you tell so-and-so? Did they hear about Are they talking about me? Oh, come on, kill that idol. And the Lord says, no, they're not going to destroy you. If they try to destroy you, they'll have to deal with me. Seven times, God puts a mark on them. Not so. What's Cain doing all the way? Sin is making him increasingly unbelieving in God and increasingly distant from the people that are around him. Paranoid and afraid and suspicious and sulking it's becoming increasingly distant from the Lord. Let's go to the next slide. See the progression? And then, of course, we have shocking aggression. Because, I mean, one of the hardest verses in this text is, is down in um, verse 16 where it says, And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. 
That's the scariest place to be. He walked away from the Lord. And then we have this progression of generations that come from him till you get Lamech, Lamech, and Lamech knows Cain's story. But now Lamech is of such a position that he is, he's just, God's not even in the picture because now I've gone out from the presence of, the, of God, now every man for himself. And so what Lamech does is saying, you don't want to mess with me because I'm God now. And this God isn't as nice as that God. You get seven, I'll give you 77. Hey, honey, he's got two wives, comes back home. Honey, guess what? Somebody cut me off in traffic. Somebody called me a name. Somebody injured me. And let's just say this, let it be known everywhere, nobody messes with me. Walatida. But isn't that the progression of sin? You get a whole culture where everybody is about me. And nobody messes with me. And nobody insults me because I will protect who? Me. It's as antithetical to the gospel as you can get. The gospel of Jesus Christ is going with forgiving grace to sinners and the arrogance of man is going to sinners and having wrath that is what we think multiple to what God is. Oh, you think God is tough. You wait to me. No, God is merciful. God's mercy is through this text. God's mercy, this is sin. It'll destroy you and it'll advance you. Lamech's taunt song reveals, the commentary reveals, the swift progress of sin. This is, this is Kidner again, I think. Where Cain has succumbed to it, Lamech exults in it. Where Cain has sought perfect protection, Lamech looks round for provocation. That's how sin aggresses. I'm going to go to work this week, and if anybody dares cross my path, they're going to get an earful this week. Nobody's going to mess with me. Nobody's going to talk to me that way. When I was growing up playing hockey, I was always hoping I would be Mike Myers' height. <laughs> Actually, I still have that prayer and dream one day. Yeah. If it happens, you know. But you know what? When I was growing up in hockey, I played, I traveled hockey, and, and so I, I never got my growth spurt when everybody else did. So I built this philosophy in my head. You may hurt me but you'll wish you didn't. That seed got in my head. So I'd go out looking for the biggest guy on the ice. And I thought, when I get off this ice, they'll leave me alone. I was a little pesky, buzzing gnat in their ear. Isn't that beautiful? That's not what the gospel does. The gospel takes someone who has the almighty God and goes into a life which is harassed and says, my goodness, Christ has been merciful to me. Oh, God. Or as, let's repeat the words of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Isn't that a world of difference? What ends up, let's go to the last one. Let's look at the very end of this chapter. Verse 26. 
at that time, people began to call on the name of Yahweh. Now, I want to present that both as a good thing and a bad thing. Isn't it great you can call on the name of Yahweh? But why are people calling on the name of Yahweh? If you read through the Psalms, when people start crying out to the Lord, it's not because the world's become a great place. It's become everybody is out for their own ego. Nobody is humble and serving anymore. It's a hostile, hard world. It's full of lamecks and murder and hatred, and people start crying out, God, deliver us. Yahweh, the God, the sovereign Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, who is in Genesis 1 and chapter 2, that God come in and deliver us because we are destroying ourselves. That's the cry of many families. That's the cry of many churches. That's been the cry of many people. Oh God, how did we get this far? How did it go this far? How did we get this broken? Oh God, help. God help. That's that cry. Some of you know what that cry is, don't you? Oh, can hardly get oxygen in your lungs. You can't even imagine how you're going to get back, but there's only one way to get back. That God would hear that prayer. Does God hear that prayer? I want you to quickly, I'll try to go through this next one, Doug. Let's see if we can dance together. Here's the incisiveness of God's word. I want you to think through what God said in these texts. We should hear what God's saying. If we listen by faith, where Cain wasn't listening, he wasn't listening, he wasn't listening to God as he works his way through. So let's go to the next slide. Number one, God's prediction. Isn't it marvelous that God comes along to Cain and he says to Cain, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. You better do something about it now because it wants to devour you and destroy you before murder even happened. He comes along and interrupts us. That's what God does in his word. He comes along and says, Jesus says this, you have heard it said that a man ought not to commit adultery. I tell you, if you look upon a woman with lust in your eyes, uh, Jesus says, you've heard you shouldn't be like Cain and commit murder. I tell you, if you are angry, with your brother, what does Jesus do? Kill sin early. Cry out to God early. Sin isn't interested in stubbing your toe. Sin is interested in destroying your life, ruining your mission, killing your family. Now, God is greater than your sin. His mercy is more. But that's what the Lord's doing. He predicts what would happen if you don't turn. If you read your Bible, anybody ever read Proverbs? Right? What's the book of Proverbs there? It's to take young teenage guys and to keep them out of prostitution. It's to take sinful men and to keep them from having childish temper tantrums. It's to take all of us from becoming in love with money or sloth or laziness or leisure so that we're not, as the Bible says, we rise up to eat and drink, right? The whole Bible warns us that we can live till we die and amuse ourselves to death. Thank God it isn't the Super Bowl every day of the year. 
Now, if the Chargers were in it once a year, right? Once a day. No, once never. <laughs> Do you realize I'm a Chargers fan? Sorry, Raul. Sorry. Raul's a Chargers fan because he's from California. I'm a Chargers fan, so I don't worship football. <laughs> the Lord saves me from ever having to worry about anything other than good snacks today. Here's the second thing, God's prediction and God's punishment. God says to him, your field will no longer respond to you. Is that mercy or is that just harshness? It's hard, but it's God coming along and saying to him, I'm sorry, this is the thing that destroyed you. You are not long going to be able to do this thing anymore. It will not yield to you. And see, what God's actually teaching, I think I put it up to you, is Cain, the issue is not that the earth won't yield to you, it's that you won't yield to me. You've got to get what the real issue is. Cain goes, oh no, I'm going to die, I'm going to be wounded. And God says, not so. Your problem isn't about whether or not the soil, get it, it's not whether or not you're going to make money and riches and all this kind of stuff. It's not whether or not life's going to go the way. This is one thing. Do you have me or not? You will die without me. That's all it is, plain and simple. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The rest of it will destroy you without me. Thank God he takes away the things we trust in rather than Jesus. Let's go to the next one. God's protection. Isn't that interesting in that text? God says, he says, everybody's going to kill me. I'm going to be out there by alone. And he says, no, not so. If anybody messes with you, they're going to have to mess with me. Isn't that amazing God does that with Cain? When we all would have punted him to Andromeda, right? He comes along and says, no, that's not the truth. But what's the problem with Cain? Cain won't draw near to God. And so he left the presence of God. So can I ask some of you, have you been ticked off at God because of the way your life has turned out? And are you angry with God? that it hasn't gone the way you wrote it. And as a result of that frustration with God, have you been withdrawing from the presence of God, cutting yourself off from God? What should you do? Thank God he's not going to let you have your little idol party and run to him, flee to him, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, run, run today. Don't rationalize, insult, say God won't do it. What more can he say? He gave his own son that you might not perish in your sin. Don't go off in the corner and hide and, and feel sorry and say, why, God, aren't you helping me way out here? You ran. You used to have this little line when I was a kid, you know, if, somebody, if you're not near to God, guess who moved? That's pretty clear with Cain. Guess who moved? Cain moved far away. 
And then I want to show you a couple things, but even in this text, there's God's provision. Down in this passage of Scripture, verse 25, Adam, Cain, was mur- Cain murdered Abel. It says, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore him a son and called his name what? Seth. Do you know what the word Seth means? Appointed. Isn't it marvelous that Abel was murdered and yet the promise that God made that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent wasn't dead with the dead uh, death of Abel and the sin of Cain, but God had appointed a son who would come, carry the name, and ensure the promise. So in Peter's preaching in the book of Acts, he t- speaks to the people who kills the Israelite people who kill, they kill their prophets. It's a pastime in the book of, in the Old Testament. It goes right into the time of Christ. And he says this when he preaches in Acts 3.19, repent therefore and turn back. Turn back. Turn back. Why? That your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You see, the Eden that we long for is not in a place on earth. It's in the presence of God. Jesus is our Eden. There'll be an Eden, but this is, and that he may send the Christ appointed, the language of Peter, appointed to you, Jesus. And so he preaches and says, guess what? Turn to God. You know what time is about? It's about returning to God. It's about repenting and crying out and calling, turn back, turn back, turn back. And when you turn back, days of refreshing will come. And also God one day will send Jesus back. There's an appointed day coming and there's an appointed son who will deliver us. And my dear friends, we'll all be in Eden that day. Aren't you looking forward to Eden? No more arguments, no more struggles, no more selfish, no more poor, poor me. No more inward battle. No more sin, Satan, or death. And so he says, turn back the days of refreshing, and then God will send Christ, his Seth, his appointed one, who will deliver us. And finally, the last thing I want you to see remarkably at the end is God's patience. Notice what it says at the end of this passage. Well, I I should read it to you. To Seth was also born, a son was born, and he was called Enosh. I don't know if any of your footnotes tell you what Enosh means, but you know what Enosh means? Frail and mortal. Weak. That's an interesting thing. So Enosh was... Uh, or Seth was appointed, and when they sat them in, in Genesis and in the Old Testament, when you name somebody, you name them for a reason. He calls him frail and mortal. Why? Because when we acknowledge our weakness and we cry out to his strength, that's Yahweh. Yahweh is the sovereign God who says, let there be light and there is life who breathes into Adam and there is life, who says, let the, let the fish 
team in the oceans and let the birds fill the sky and let spring break forth in February. <laughs> See, I, have not, I am not that God. But that God, that God can answer our weakness. Our, our call in coming to God is not to bring God our offering like Cain as if, here, God, I gave you something. Our call by God is to come and say, God, I'll mess up my family. I'll mess up my church. I'll mess up my life. I'll mess the whole mission up unless you come and you help us. Does the Lord hear our cries? Does the Lord respond? Let me... um, let me give you a quote. I think I sent this quote in. Who knows? Um, Philip Yancey in his book, Disappointed. You know what we've been talking about this morning? Many of us have been disappointed with God. We've been disappointed with him. And Philip Yancey, I don't know, have, have any of you guys met Philip Yancey? He's tall, skinny, he's got crazy hair. So it's hard for me to read serious quotes from him, but... If you hear him preach, he's very good. But he says, one bold message in the book of Job is that you can say anything to God. See where Cain went wrong? Throw at him your grief. Cry out to him. Throw at him your anger, your doubt, your bitterness, your betrayal, your disappointment. He can absorb them all. As often as not, spiritual giants of the Bible are shown contending with God. They prefer to go away limping like Jacob rather than to shut God out. See the difference there? What Cain and this passage of Cain is saying is that Cain is withdrawing, pulling away, shielding himself. No, 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 you're struggling. Tell him you're struggling. You're hurt. Go to him and say, God, I'm an egotist. Nobody thanked me for my wonderful sermon last week. They all wanted to go have snacks and watch football. Right? You know what? You see where your ego, you come to God and say, God, I'm upset with my wife rather than upset with my lovelessness. I'm, I'm, tormented in my heart over my failure to build the dream mission. God, I've been fighting depression for the longest time. I wanted to be strong. I wanted my kids to think I was everything. I wanted it to be about me. Don't shut God out. Bring him in. Go into, isn't that the gospel? Isn't that the great treasure of the gospel? Isn't the great treasure of the gospel that in Jesus we have access to the Father 24-7? So I I, I look at you guys and Maddie and the babies. What are you going to do? You're tired, right? You want to... I want to see these little babies thriving. It's hard. It's tiring. What are you going to do? Oh, God, help us. It's, just, it's hard. Wonka, you're here, and you've got family grieving in Guatemala. God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? This is what we do. 
call on the name of the Lord. We cry out to the one who sits at the right hand of the Father and ever, ever lives and intercedes. And unless the Lord sustains us and builds his church, right, we have no chance. Well, but here, here's the great news. Can I, can I give you a really good final word? But I need somebody else to help me preach. Anybody know the memory verse? Gloria, come on up here, honey. I can always count on Gloria. You know it? You got it down? Okay, come here. I'm going to make you stand up here, hon. Okay. She, even, she was so willing, she even jumped when I went to lift her. Okay, so Gloria, what's the memory verse? Okay. You will not let your foot be moved. Right? I broke your flow. Sorry, I shouldn't have done that. He, he who keeps you will, will not slumber or sleep. He who watches... That's it, right? So let, let's repeat it, because it comes from a child, but it comes from Jesus, right? So listen to it. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber nor sleep. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Friends, you can go to bed, because he won't. He'll take care of you. Thanks, honey. There, and I have the worship team come up to sing. So I really, I really don't. One of the hard things about worship is like switching gears. So we'll take up the offering, but can I ask you to let the Holy Spirit just speak to you? It could have been a sentence at the beginning. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak where you're struggling with God and with all of this. Just let him do that massaging work in your soul now and work, need the truth so it would rise up as, as life in you. So let me pray. Let me ask you to continue to pray as the offering has come and maybe you guys can sing through a stanza. I'll throw a curve at you and, and then invite everybody to stand after you've sung through. Let's pray. And so, Father, we are um, so apt to let sin block you out and turn us from one another. It's possible to come to worship and then commit murder with our words and with our hearts, with our attitudes. And Heavenly Father, the battle for the advancement of the mission has always been not to run to you and get fixed and cleansed and forgiven and strengthened and helped. So Father, would you let us see you, let us behold you, let us see Jesus interceding for us, forgiving our sins and reigning on high, that you are for us and if you are for us, who can be against us? And just work in each heart, dear God. Just now break the bread of your word and minister to each soul. Just help us, dear God, not to be like Cain. Help us to hear you. So as the offering's being taken up, Father, continue to minister, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give a prayer of grace. There are refreshments downstairs. 
uh, pray. Just pray to the Lord. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And uh, 15 minutes from now, 10, 15 minutes, we'll come. Anybody wants to come and talk further, pray further, walk through the text a little more. If anybody could want to do that, <laughs> uh, we'll be doing that soon. So let's pray. So, Father, now pour out your spirit on your sheep. Shepherd, great shepherd of the sheep. Give forgiving grace where grace is needed. Give restorative hope where hope has been dashed. Break, remove the distance from us in Jesus. Draw us close to Christ. Help us to turn back now. And then God sent us out to tell the world that this is our God. A God who forgives and restores and makes new and is coming again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you folks. Have a good Sunday today. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about Waterbrook Christian Church located in Victoria, Minnesota, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed day.